Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, second-year child and adolescent, adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, guys. And second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, everybody. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Well, on today's show, we're going to talk about how to survive graduate school and maybe some of the research pertaining to this. And I'm, we're very happy to have for join us for this discussion Karen Atkins. Karen is a PhD candidate at UC Davis in the Hydrologic Sciences graduate group. She studies benthic algae in lake systems. But her primary claim to fame is that she's the sister of our host, co-host <laughs> Alan Atkins. So welcome, welcome, Karen. Thank you. I would say well, that's like her, her tertiary or quaternary claim. Oh, to okay. Fame. All right. <laughs> it's good. That my my parents would disagree. I think they would agree with uh, that. That's my claim to fame. <laughs> oh no. So, um, okay, why are we doing this topic? Why are we doing grad school? You already talked about what topic we're doing right here. Sorry. Yes, how to survive. <laughs> okay. Or succeed. So, I, just to barely survive is not, I don't think I would appeal to me. I don't want to barely survive. I want to succeed. Okay, so going through <laughs> medical school, I felt like my situation was so difficult, so challenging. And it was, it definitely was. Um, but at the time I was dating someone who was in grad school um, and he was doing, um, he was pursuing a master's in science, science degree as well. Um, but master's, not PhD, but he was trying to get his PhD. Anyways, the point is his experience was so stressful. And up until that point, I had no idea about how hard being a grad student was. I kind of thought, oh, you're pursuing higher education. It's got to be pretty cush. Um, no, he was doing a lot of field work every day, going out, scuba diving, working the fields, you know, et cetera. Um, but the, the point is, I think that there is a general idea that grad students are already of a privileged class. Um, and what's what do they have to complain about and not just the general public has this perception but also um the universities advisors who hire these students um, also have this perception of you should feel lucky to be here quit complaining um but really this just puts graduate students in a position of extreme vulnerability um to the university to their advisors and i've noticed i've observed um, that they are largely taken advantage of as a whole um, f due by just like pl point playing on their um, altruistic or um, like I don't know how to describe this but um, just free labor really their well, passion not free I mean they're paid but just so little they're paid so little I mean like my ex-boyfriend was on food stamps throughout grad school, yeah. um, which I, I never thought, you know, a grad student would need to be on food stamps, but, um, and hustling for TA jobs, all that stuff. But the point is, yeah, their passion is, is used as a 
way to manipulate them to 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 get more work out of them to um, endure suffering I think um, because these students are trying to pursue studies that you know hopefully make the world a better place and yeah. I think it's worth oh, sorry Aaron go for it no I was just gonna say um, uh, yeah I, I this is one of the reasons why um, there's you know one out of four graduate students go to counseling, individual therapy at, at, at our counseling center because of this. Uh, to, all, all these research-based institutions, like UCR is a research-based institutions, has this incredible amount of stress. And well, I'm just going to say also that we're going to also um, talk about medical school too in this, in this podcast too, because that's the experience that Tosha and Alan have. Also, I just want to uh, point out that all of the different gr- types of grad school can vary wildly and um, I know that Tosha said that sometimes people are paid and oftentimes in the sciences, that's um, very common to be paid. But I know um, in social sciences, that's not necessarily as common. Um, oh. And also in med school, people don't get paid. So um, I think we're going to be talking a lot about a lot of different experiences and um, I guess caveat there. Right. In med school, people are paying to be there. Um, and so we have a lot of student debt. Um, I, I took uh, most of everything I'm going to be saying from this article published in Nature. Uh, uh, I, this was news to me, but Nature apparently does a regular polling of grad students around the world um, and and just asking them different questions about um, their mental health, how satisfied they are in their programs, what sort of harassment they've experienced. So um, all of the stuff I'm talking about is written by or reported on by Chris Woolston in 2019. That was the latest nature study. Um, and his article is called PhDs, The Tortuous Truth. So check it out if you want more information on what we're talking about today. So I, I think that the point you made about um, grad students being kind of the, the the angle of the passion being used to get them to do more more work, I don't think that ends in grad school. I think for scientists and physicians and all kinds of professionals, their passion gets used to justify um, underpayment and overwork. And so, so obviously in medicine, for the resident, for the medical student, and for the physician, that comes in the form of, oh, the, the patient comes first, right? And so what that means is the patient comes before self-care, the patient comes before expectations of fair treatment, expectations of kindness from from superiors. Um, it, it's used as a blanket term that that is often um, disingenuous in terms of it being presented as a patient issue. And, and often there's some truth to that, but it's also like, oh yeah, and this will be more, more convenient for your boss or this will make more money for the hospital or whatever. Um, I don't think that I, I don't want to create distrust for for the hospital system here. I don't think that a lot of it is coming at the expense of patients. I do think that a lot of it is coming at the expense of doctors and trainees, and particularly the lower down on the totem pole a trainee is, the more it comes at their expense. Um, and with scientists and 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 other forms of people with graduate degrees, um, and I like I you know teachers come to mind. It's like a lot of these things are passion-based fields and it's like, okay, well, if you have the passion, you're going to stay the extra hours and grade the extra tests and do the extra teaching and, um, you know, teach, teach, um, potentially without the pay you deserve, et cetera. 
Yeah, I feel like um, definitely this is a good thing to talk about because, yeah, the, the power structure, they're in a very low on the totem pole. And so I feel like it's really good to have Karen with us. Karen, you're you're at the at the end of your graduate student career. Is that fair to say? What if what can you sh- a couple more months? Wow, that's very, very, very late in the game. It's just great. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, what can you say about the power structure and how that's that can be sometimes stacked against graduate students best interest? Yeah, definitely. So um, in the kind of grad school that at least I attend, um, we have kind of a structure of a PI who is in charge of us. Um, and they're in charge of a lot of different aspects of our lives. So they're in charge of my funding, uh, maybe when I graduate. Um, and they also have different interests from my interests. So maybe they have hired me for um, you know, getting more papers with their name on it so that they can move up to their next ranking. And so mm. you know, if your goal as a student is to become an academic yourself, then maybe those goals are aligned. But if you are trying to you know, go into a different sector, that might not be your goal. So for example, maybe you want teaching experience, um, but that's not necessarily something that your PI wants you to do because they want you to be spending their time um, forwarding their name. Um, and so that can lead to some really difficult situations um, where the interests are not really aligned. Boy, I see that a lot in counseling and therapy. They spend, People spend years in in pursuit of directions in research that they have literally no interest in, <laughs> but yet the, their PI is saying they must do this. <laughs> it's really difficult work. So we, we should st- we should define what a PI is because we've used that word quite a bit. So a PI, uh, well, let's, let's have someone else define that. So, okay, I'll, I'll jump in. So a PI is a principal investigator. And so that's the person who is leading the research team and is often what's called the anchor author where they are um, getting credit for the publications. And sometimes you'll look at, really, you know, big deal universities and you'll see professors and they have like uh, 60 really meaningful publications. And then you talk to them and you become kind of surprised because they've never even necessarily heard of some of the publications that they're on or they, they, they can't remember them or they're they're kind of vague about them and you and you start to realize that s- some of what's going on is these people are they're in an advisory role they kind of like they green light the paper they might occasionally take a call from from whoever the people are that are kind of the workhorses but they might do very little work on these papers that they are the lead author on um their role is basically the the head of the power structure. Yeah, and then also uh, what I what I hear a lot of is they the, the the student the grad student has their own project they're really passionate about it and uh, their PI or or, or their uh, their you know their advisor their uh, their maybe a co-author won't look at it won't look at their paper won't give them guidance they feel very like a fish out of water. Everything is unstructured, which leads to one of my first tips on how to survive graduate school. Um, learn how to be self-motivated in unstructured time. Because, if it, because as a student, 
you know, gr- growing up and always being as, you know, usually grad students are super students. So they, they're used to deadlines. They're used to um, things being put, tests being scheduled for them and they take them and they, they knock them out of the park. But in grad, grad school is different. It's a different kind of experience. A lot of it is your own internal motivation of just getting up in the, in the beginning of the day and immediately doing research that a lot of times you have no interest in. And it's really intense, grueling intellectual work. And if, if you can do that kind of thing, I don't want to spoil graduate school for anybody, no, it's but true. a lot it's, of times it is there's that. There's a lot of work. I mean, in this survey, uh, 76 pe- people, 76% of people who responded said they're working more than 40 hours a week. Yeah. 76. Yes, I, I I paid for twenty and I work forty to sixty will, work will hours. Will you carry that through, Tosh? So can you you talk about? Because I know there's also a huge number of people that are working much more than forty hours a week. Can you carry us through that? Yeah. So um, it looks like twenty five percent of respondents are working somewhere between fifty to sixty percent. About um, maybe thirteen percent are working sixty. Fifty to, to sixty hours. Oh, 51 so. to sixty hours. Sorry. Um, maybe 13% are working 61 to 70 hours, and then about like 7% are working 71 to 80 hours. And then there's like about 5% of respondents saying they, they work more than 80 hours. And again, I just think of my um, my ex-boyfriend who was on food stamps working, you know, more than 40 hours a week. There's also Sorry. a lot of different um, kind of things that people are trying to work on, which is also interesting to juggle because you know, there's the actual research that you might be doing, but in addition to that, you might be taking classes and you might be responsible for teaching classes for right. 20 hours a week. Um, so it's really easy to, you know, surpass that 40 hour a week kind of standard American um, work hours. Um, How often are your are your um, peers able to hold another job? I know grad students don't get paid the most. Do you, is anyone able to do that? Yeah, I've done that before um, for short periods of time. It's usually not, unless you come in with that being the expectation, it's pretty frowned upon by most PIs um, because, you know, they want to have you working on your research and moving that forward. And, and is it true that some folks get paid in food stamps? And if so, how does that work? Uh, not that I know of in grad school. I've seen, um, you know, food stamps um, kind of booths at fairs. So they're definitely like kind of trying to know that a lot of graduate students require food stamps or are eligible for them. But I haven't seen that as part of pay. Gotcha. If you're just listening to us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're talking about how to survive graduate school, and we're joined as one of our um, guests on the show is Karen Atkins. She's a PhD candidate at UC Davis, and Karen, were you involved in any of the union representation stuff? And what is your thoughts? Did that change anything? Uh, Yeah, so we, um, I think... Currently, and I'm sorry if uh, I'm sure that people at the UC know more than I do about this, but I know, I think um, I might get this wrong, but either the graduate, um, like teaching assistants are unionized and the um, research assistants aren't or vice versa. I can't remember because I go back and forth all the time. And so one quarter I'm in a unionized group and then the next quarter I'm not. Um, I think it's the teaching assistants that are unionized. Um, And so it's very confusing. Um, 
but technically we are unionized, I think, for teaching assistance. So um, if we go over our hours, we are eligible for back pay. Um, and that didn't really help very much um, <laughs> because it's sort of a, who do you, who do you talk to about that? Um, and, you know, there's union representatives, but it kind of puts you in an awkward position if you file a complaint because it's, you know, the professor that you work with and is on your committee or um, it's just another power structure issue. Yeah, one of the um, people who took the poll, a female student in Belgium, wrote, the absolute impunity of the top academic professors is astonishing and the biggest threat to young researchers, including mental health. That sounds so right. I mean, I think, uh, you know, my experience of this through Karen has, you know, Karen's, I think, have been lucky enough to be a, a really stable and, and a, uh, grad student and has done really well. I've known a lot of other grad students who, and med students and residents who talk about finding closets to cry in, um, who talk about, I mean, just in general, there's a lot of crying. Um, there's a lot of, uh, destabilization. There's a lot of seeking out mental health providers, which says a huge amount, given that these people are so busy that they're neglecting their relationships. They're neglecting cooking. They, you know, there's, there's different hairstyles so they don't have to shower as much. People are drinking soylent instead of doing meals. And yet they are finding the time to see mental health professionals because that's how bad things are for a lot of them. And, you know, don't even get us started on the suicide rates. Yeah, I think that brings up um, an interesting issue as well. That's like a lot of graduate students feel really isolated. Um, I think that in some cases people are kind of pitted against each other um, within like a lab group. You might be competing for funding, competing for uh, your PI's attention or the, you know, um, the best project. Um, and so that kind of makes your natural friends not necessarily someone you can confide fully in. Um, which is really hard. Wow. Um, and then in addition to that, after you've finished your kind of classes um, and, you know, if you're doing a PhD, you now have however many years of just doing a project. And these projects um, tend to be very specific and um, maybe you don't have that many people who really even know what you're doing. Um, so that can be really isolating as well. And I think leads to some of those mental health issues. That access to mental health is really important and talked about in, in the Nature article, too, that um, a, a lot of graduate students felt their university didn't really have appropriate mental health to address their specific needs as graduate students versus undergrad students. And I don't know, Aaron, if you could talk about that at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, we have a graduate student support group it's been pretty well attended. And then I know that um, just the graduate students themselves, they have a peer run uh, support group, which is good. And, you know, like I said, one out of four grad students go to individual therapy, which is good. I encourage, um, you know, people at UCR to, to go to, um, to go to our counseling and psychological services and find out what kind of services that are there for you because they are very helpful. Um, yeah, because you're talking about the stress. Can I mention one of the psychological issues that happens with grad students. I want to, because I, like, I, I'm, I'm sensitive to, to Tosha, what you said that, oh, grad students, yeah, it must be really rough being in a PhD program, then you're going to be a doctor. <laughs> I can, I'm sensitive to that, but let me, let me just kind of share that. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you're in grad school, 
you it, not only do you have this uh, terrible power structure we talked about where you don't have a lot of power and your PI has all the power, so you can't make complaints, you're competing with other folks, you're always um, starving, and then you're always thinking that you should be working. Okay, am I right, Karen, with that? You, but, uh, even when you're no just enjoying yourself, right? You're thinking, I probably should be reading an article. Yeah, we just <laughs> we just had our spring break and my roommates and I were talking about how it's such a nice break to actually get some work done in. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really intense um, about how much pressure there is. And um, the other thing I, th I think is kind of common, you would, you correct me, Karen, if, if this is your experience is that always feeling like other people have it together and you don't have it together. <laughs> always people are, they're on top of their projects and they're on top of their work and they're, they've got it in with the PI and they're getting all kinds of funding and you don't and you suck at it or something. Yeah. So I, I do have a couple more points I want to make before we switch over to like some tips, but, um, uh, piggybacking off of the imposter syndrome. So the nature study actually showed that respondents in North America were more likely um, to have identify as having imposter syndrome than in other areas. Um, one in five uh, said that they had themselves um, gone through a situation of being harassed or discriminated against. Um, the highest rates of harassment or discrimination occurred in North America the lowest rates um, were in Australia. So 24% in North America, 18% in Australia. Um, and then m commonly in women in comparison to men. Um, and uh, to switch over to some positive side of this, um, in terms of satisfaction, m more people would say that they were satisfied or extremely satisfied with um, their program, and felt um, they were being they were well prepared. You're saying that was the majority? Oh, I'm sorry. Only 26 percent of respondents felt their program was preparing them very well. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, 67 percent were satisfied with their relationship with their PI. 27 percent were extremely satisfied. 45% um, or half felt um, uh, that their satisfaction level fell from when they started to when they ended the program, um, but about this almost the same number felt their satisfaction increased. Okay, so let's, um, we've, we've talked about how terrible and stressful it is, and hopefully, because this is really important, because we, you know, the, we have the best university system, this is my belief, we have the best university system in the world. This is something we should emphasize and, and fund more, and hopefully, um, you know, in the next few years we will. But let's talk about how to succeed, and how to sur uh, survive and succeed in grad school. Karen, what are your top tips? Like, and, and you can even think about, like, if you were young and naive, just entering grad school, yourself when you were just entering grad school, what would you tell this person that would most be most helpful? Okay. Uh, I guess I have three. So yeah. the first one, um, so concise. <laughs> uh, the first one, I would think really hard about why you want to go to grad school, um, and come in with like an end goal in mind and keep that in mind as you go through. Um, there's a really great book, um, that's called getting what you came for. Um, and that really cued me in into some really important things. 
um, that can help guide you a long way. I know that most people who go to grad school don't really know many other people who went to grad school. Um, and so that can really help kind of guide you along the way. And one of now, the main Karen, things, is that yeah. book grad school specific, or is that a book that you would recommend to our general audience? It is grad school specific. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and it kind of walks you through some of the systems that you wouldn't necessarily know, um, going in. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things that they really recommend is kind of coming in with a goal. And that was really helpful to me. Um, in addition to that, I would say that make a community, um, no matter, you know, if you are pitted against people mm -hmm. in your lab, if you, um, you know, find people elsewhere, um, it doesn't matter how you get there, but make a grad student community, um, preferably with people who are kind of in the same year or um, kind of range of years as you are so that you can kind of go through it together. Um, that yeah, sounds so important. Buys each other. Um, yeah, like <laughs> uh, Anon was saying, um, it's really nice to have someone to cry on their shoulder instead of going into a closet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well said. And by, and so she calls me Otto and that's, uh, that's Sorry, my name and my family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a Hebrew name. Uh, okay. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then the last thing that I found really helpful that kind of um, talks to Aaron's point that he made a while ago of having kind of no structure is making accountability groups. Um, so I started a writing group with some of my friends and we're not even in the same field, um, but we just, every meet, week uh, we meet and we have, um, you know, we have to have written a certain number of pages. And if we hadn't written that much, then we get in trouble and we owe our group a certain amount of money that goes into a party fund. Um, nice, that's a great idea. Yeah, it's fun and you get to catch up with your friends. And then we also spend an hour every week um, peer reviewing each other's work. And so it's also a learning experience. Um, but you can also do that with other things if you're earlier in your work and are like, I don't know, we also had a coding group at one point. Um, so yeah, those are my three tips. One of the things my um, ex-boyfriend did when he was in grad school was he organized and he um, got some grad students together. And because I, I think it's you know, so much of this like wellness stuff is putting the onus on the individual working in the system, but it, it, real work can be done by um, holding the university or your PI to uh, to accountability. Yes, thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's definitely true. And I think, um, at least for me, it's been a balance of trying to kind of um, yeah, hold the institution to a higher standard and also um, knowing what your advisor's strengths are and also pulling in other people to be your kind of community of advisors instead of just one advisor. I think these are really good tips. And um, if I was going to add anything to it, on top of those was really great, is that um, really be clear about what your priorities are you know, again, I, I, building on all the things that Karen said, really be clear on what you, and what can be dropped. Because I felt like I dropped a lot of my life and I had to come to peace with that. 
uh, about things I dropped and relationships I, you know, I had to, you know, drop in order to get more uh, closer to my graduate school work and, and more in depth in my grad school work. And that, and that I think helped. I had a little different experience in that both my wife and I were in grad school at the time. And so that, that was extremely stressful, but I guess we had each other. So I guess that was kind of a built in support. Uh, system. I also was very far away from USC. That was difficult. And but you know what? One of the biggest things was was financial stress. We were poor. Our family was poor. I I, I had huge amounts of loan. That caused a lot of stress for me. I don't know, Karen. You were probably a kick-ass researcher, so you probably get funded a lot, so you don't have to worry about that. But I think a lot of grad students worry about finances we and loans. I've been worried about finances too. <laughs> That caused a lot of stress for me. So if you can if you can deal with that stress and still focus intellectually, that's that's a, a plus. I want to I want to find out what Tosha Allen. Now this is a little bit different animal, the the med- medical school. But do you have any tips about what helped you uh, focus and concentrate, dealing with all the different kind of stressors of making it through med school? We trying might have to, to have an, trying to a focus whole new on episode. myself. That was a big one. Not comparing what does that myself. Mean? Not oh, comparing okay. myself to other people. Okay. Um, just focusing on the next test. Yeah, we'll have to see if that's worth another episode or not. But we are uh, <laughs> rapidly. I I don't. I I think I can't think of one thing for getting through med school. Um, and I I imagine a lot of it's similar to the grad school stuff. I really yeah. liked Karen's three tips. Uh, I thought they mm-hmm. were very applicable to not just med school but also residency. And that's going to do it for us here at Let's Get Psyched. We've been talking about how to survive and succeed in grad school. And thank you very much to our special guest, Karen Atkins, uh, sister of our co-host, Alan Atkins. Thank you, Karen. Appreciate you being here. Um, if you have comments or suggestions for the show, you can write to us at getpsychedonkucr.gmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucr.gmail.com. And you can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. Let's get psyched.